0: Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm Dave McCray from the University of Melbourne's Asia Institute, and today I'll be talking to Issan Ali Fauzi, who's the director of the Centre for the Study of Religion and Democracy at Paramedina University in Jakarta. Uh, pa Issan, thanks for joining us.
1: Sure, thanks for having me.
0: Now, terrorism has garnered great attention in Indonesia so far this year with the mid January attacks in central Jakarta. But it's not the only form of extremism that manifests in Indonesia. You also have religious intolerance. And that's what I'd like to speak to Pak about today. We've seen religious intolerance already this year generating headlines uh, with moves to evict the Gafata sect from Kalimantan and threats by the local administration in Bunker to evict members of the Ahmadiyya religious movement from that island. Now, Pak could I ask you: Are these Gafatar and Ahmadiyya cases that we've seen so far this year fairly typical manifestations of religious intolerance in Indonesia, or or what do we normally see?
1: Gafatar and the last attack against the at Banka is a typical one. The other one is interreligious, you know, conflict uh, in uh, 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 intolerance actions against the, against the minority groups here and there. In the last ten years, there are uh, maybe. Two forms of religious intolerance have been uh, quite dominant. The first one is intra-Muslim, which is again uh, one example is and the and anti-Ahmadi, uh, but especially in the form of anti-Ahmadi, and more recently anti-Shia intolerance. Actually, the point of uh, contention has been the belief of some Muslim group in in Indonesia that that the, the Ahmadi's and later the Shia is not part, uh, are not part of mainstream Muslims so they have to be, so they are kind of feeling that, that the Ahmadi blaspheme Islam. Uh, the second one, uh, the second form of uh, intoler- religious intolerance is inter-religious intolerance, especially between Muslims and Christians. And it takes place particularly in the regions where either Muslims or Christians are uh, the majority group, meaning in the places like Aceh, in the eastern, uh, eastern part of uh, the country, in western part of the country, where Muslims are major, the, the dominant group, and the latest one, uh, where the Christians are majority, the example one is Papua. Uh, they are the majority group there. And in this second form of religious intolerance, the point of contention has been permission to build, uh, renovate, or expand the, the house of worship. So, for example, there's a controversy concerning the erection of the mosque in Tolikara in the very end of last year. And there's also the issue concerning the the erection of the churches in some places in Aceh.
0: That would have been in uh, Sinkil, perhaps, in, in Aceh late last year.
1: Yeah, Sinkil. Sinkil, area between, uh, between Aceh and Medan, not
0: Sumatra. And are there common groups, common drivers for for the different incidents of, of religious intolerance?
1: The first one, I think there is a, if you see the local driver for the kind one is the uh, institution called Pilkada, or local elections. In this place, in these cases, politicians, or the candidate for Pilkada, uh, usually are willing to sell religious issues uh, to garner more foods. And in some area in Indonesia, saying and having a policy that Ahmadi, anti-Ahmadi is not part of Muslim, it's sometimes popular. Yeah, Another drivers which is also common in Indonesia is the inability or reluctance of the state especially the police because they are now the most responsible party to do the maintaining the order to enforce the law, to take the firm actions against uh, religious intolerance behavior. You know the intolerance sometimes is a law it's okay in democracy but you are not uh, uh, you should have only intolerance in your thinking or in in your feeling, but not in your in your behavior. So if you think that Ahmadi are not part uh, or Shia are not part of Muslim that's okay. But you can't do
0: anything harmful against them. No, I mean it's an interesting point you make uh, about you know attitudes as opposed to actions. Is the view that say Ahmadi's are, are not Muslims particularly widespread in Indonesia? I mean, are these we see the manifestation of religious intolerance in actions are, in fact, intolerant attitudes very very widespread uh, among Indonesians, do you think?
1: Uh, we have to be very careful about, you know, there is no survey, decoupling these three things, asking whether you... Sometimes we have, but not very often, uh, decoupling intolerance into one thinking and the other one is feeling and the other one is behavior, actions, and... The most important thing is internal actions, actually. But I don't, I, I think there are, there is no, so there is no data on that, Dave, I'm, I'm afraid. But I think there is quite spread enough in Indonesia that the Ahmadis are not Muslim, for example. And not, but not the Ahmadis, but not the Shia. The Shia is, we usually are more unfriendly to the Ahmadis than the Shia. But to ask those people who don't believe that Shia, uh, the Ahmadis are part of Muslims, to act violently against them is two other things. I mean, uh, not so many people are willing to do that. And I think if you look at some places, some, you know, in Indonesia, like Chirbo and others, we, we usually find out the same actors doing things like this. So there is a kind of small number of militant extremist group who think the Ahmadi is... Anti-Ahmadi is an uh, is important issue and selling issue, and they mobilize against the Ahmadi. Uh, the another example is also the movement against the Shia. So we know it's only in the last I think two three years that we have been seeing what uh, organization movement called Annas, Association of anti-Shia. In way, so this. So this I think this is the work of very small number of people, very militant one, very extremist one. But there are not enough support against them in Indonesia because, as uh, you can see in other places, you know the majority of people are usually a silent majority. they are not acting against them or pro them.
0: Yeah, no, well, that was what I was going to ask you is you mentioned there isn't really survey data on broader societal attitudes to um, and the uh, to, to some of these other issues do you have a sense though of broader society attitudes to the small groups you mentioned who are taking action against Ahmadis, against Shia Muslims is is there I guess approval or disapproval of their actions
1: I think the latest data that we have is 2006 the data from LSI there are not so many support again uh, there are not so many support against them like 10 10 percent of the in terms of Muslims who think that the Ahmadiyya are not part Muslim, and they want to uh, they want to you know contribute their time, contribute their uh, things to do against that feeling. So it's not only you know feeling or thinking, but also uh, participation in doing that. But that's I don't know the number right now, but but that number is quite high for Indonesia. But again, there are people who small number of people who and organizers who. Are working to mobilize this this feelings against the Ahmadi, and sometimes people, general people, I don't think, uh, aren't feel easy or nice to say no to this kind of you know uh, mobilization against the Ahmadi. They they didn't say no, but they didn't support actively. Uh, but that's that's enough actually if you don't do anything against that. And at the same time, the state and the police say that they don't have enough reason to act against them. So there is uh, I an mean, inaction in the level of the state. There's also enough support by not saying against, by not doing things against them in the level of the society. There will be enough.
0: Okay, okay. that That's enough to enable uh, religious intolerance to take place. Yeah, and I mean, can you give a sense of the trends on religious intolerance? I mean, particularly, I guess, incidents of violence. Are we seeing... Increase or a decrease? What are the what are the trends over time for religious intolerance in Indonesia?
1: Again, I don't see I don't see any clear increase or decrease in the sectarian intra intra-Islam, Islamic conflict. While uh, we could easily find the Ahmadi's and the Shia here and there in all over the country, I mean, you could easily find the Ahmadi mosque or the Ahmadi communities here and there. But violent intolerance behavior against this Ahmadi group took place only in a number of regions, yeah, mostly in West Java, including Banten, and maybe some part of East Java. Yeah? But there is another trend which is alarming to me. This anti-Shia uh, mobilization or anti-Ahmadi mobilization has been deadlier in the past few years. So, uh, because it caused death. Uh, you know, two people, I think two people are dead during the anti-Shia violence in Sampang, Madura, in East Java, I think in 2013. And there are three Ahmadis who were killed during the anti-Ahmadi violence in a place called Chikasik in Banten area, New Province, in
0: 2012. Okay, so you're saying there's no clear trend in the number of incidents, but perhaps the violence is getting deadlier.
1: But the quality of the incident, yeah, because it's, it's dead there now. But concerning, I think we also have another conflict, right, uh, which is uh, interreligious conflict. Uh, concerning that kind of conflict, which is, uh, we also have a, a trend that people become intolerant uh, because they see the same intolerance was made against their uh, religious fellow in another place. So there is a pattern of vengeance in Indonesia, we call it. If uh, So when I interviewed one Catholic priest in Inde, for example, he said, if the Christian, he, he's just reporting, you know, he was reporting the what he heard from his uh, fellow Catholics in Ende. If the Christian can't build a church in Bukasi, for example, this this very uh, an area very close to Jakarta, why should we give permission for Muslim in Ende to build a mosque? So there is this also another trend which is alarming to me because people, you know, learn intolerance from. Uh, From the news, from TV, from social media.
0: Okay, so you have kind of a tit for tat dynamic. Yeah, yeah, and and
1: snowballing effect. I would say snowballing effect because if we see something bad happening in Aceh, why don't we do the same thing here in in Tolikara, in Papua, where we are a majority group?
0: Now, perhaps if we could move on to another topic. Jokowi's predecessor as president, Susilo Bambang Yuriono, was quite heavily criticized for his handling of religious intolerance. Have we seen any improvements since Jokowi took office in late 2014 in the handling of religious intolerance in Indonesia?
1: Well, uh, we have been waiting for that. Uh, I mean, we are promised by Jokowi and Jokar in their presidential elections that the state will be more present during the during the uh, religious conflict here and there, uh, uh, which make which would make it them different from the SBA before. They also have a good Ministry of Religious Affairs by the name of Lukman Hakim Saifuddin, who is very tolerant, etc. etc. But to to this day, I think uh, what they have been promising is is still an empty rhetoric because we he did they didn't do anything uh, clear about what is going on uh, with the intolerance, violence against the, uh, the against the minority groups here and there. I mean, the the, the biggest one is, I think is. Uh, the one that took place in Tolikara, in West Papua, it was a discrimination against Muslim group in Papua. Also, they didn't do anything clear and positive in uh, Sinkir, as you mentioned before. And this day, actually, we are witnessing the absence of, of the state, where a region in Bangka, which is in Sumatra, expelled the Ahmadi group from from the region called Bangka. So uh, we have been we have been waiting for the you know good policy and good action by the presidency, president of Jokowi and their uh, their guys, but uh, but uh, unfortunately we don't see it yet.
0: Why do you think we haven't seen sterner action from Jokowi's government on religious intolerance? Because I mean, you could argue they had a political imperative to take action, um, given that they did particularly well among non-Muslim voters uh, in the election. That Seem to be one of the important factors in in I guess Jokowi winning over Prabowo, and as you said, he he promised in his campaign statement that this was one of the issues he he was going to tackle. Uh, what do you what do you think held him back?
1: The best way to answer that question to compare his policy against terrorism in Indonesia. I think in terms of uh, his actions against terrorism, nobody, everyone in Indonesia, not only Mus- not only Muslim, but also Christians. Not only Christians, but all of our Muslim from all of our walk of life, even the radicals one will support it. Even the MUI, which is the you know Indonesian Council of Fatwa, say that terrorism is against Islam and it's haram, it's it's forbidden. So, but no such a thing as this kind of fatwa. They came from uh, radical extremist group against uh, against religious intolerance. So, I think Jokowi is still thinking to think about their people uh, in the Muslim uh, circles that even reluctant, uh, to say the least, to support him if he is uh, doing uh, stern actions against the religious intolerance here and there. Because there are, there are also clear problems within Islamic circles, Muslim circles, about intolerance against this small group of Ahmadis and others. I think Jokowi is still thinking if, the, if he was afraid that he didn't get enough support from, from the, some, quite some people from Indonesia and Muslim communities.
0: Okay, sure. And I mean, another dynamic that we've seen in Jokowi's government uh, beyond religious intolerance has been at times sharply different positions between him and his political party, PDIP. Uh, I I mean, the conflict between them uh, was one of the defining features of his early stage of government. And PDIP, I guess, uh, kind of Considered right at the secular end of the spectrum, sort of almost, I guess, the plural end of the spectrum in in terms of political parties in Indonesia. Have PDIP and Jokowi been on the same page in terms of the response to religious intolerance?
1: I'm afraid so. Uh, even words, the PDIP compared to Jokowi. Jokowi, didn't say something bad about religious pluralism, but uh, there are some bupati regions in Indonesia who were the you know the cadres of PDIP are doing very bad thing uh, concerning that, uh, in terms of religious pluralism. One important case is in, in Cirebon, uh, one of the uh, the region is the Pupa, the PDIP caterer and the PDIP, you know, he, he came from PDIP, and he was also the one who actually initiated the mobilization against the Ahmadi in Manislor, in Cirebon. Uh, that's, that's one very strong case. Uh, another one, I think, is the, uh, I don't know, our, our interior minister right now, who is also uh, the cadre, very top cadder of PDIP uh, by the name of Cahyo Kumolo. Uh, he, said, he said something uh, quite strong against the expulsion of Ahmadiyya in Bangka, but against his only rhetoric. He didn't do anything against that, and we have been, we have been waiting now. And there is no, uh, you know, firm action against that kind of expulsion, which is, which is against our constitutions. Actually, so Jokowi didn't do anything harmful to religious, to religious pluralism in Indonesia, but he, didn't, he he didn't take firm action against, you know, the policies or or the actions that that harm that. He didn't do that directly, but some PDI P did that uh, directly as a, as, a, as a state practice
0: I guess you're speaking there about the political aspect of this that politicians are restrained from taking action because they worry about whether they'll have support or some are even promoting uh, religious intolerance to look for extra support now what about state institutions uh, like the police uh, I mean I know you've co-authored a book on policing of religious intolerance uh, are the are the same factors affecting the police response to religious intolerance or, or is something else underpinning the kind of permissive attitude that you see from the police to these sort of incidents in Indonesia
1: in the research that was published in the book we asked good cases and bad cases of policing of religious conflict here and there in Indonesia in eight cases and we asked uh, three aspects of the policing one is their knowledge their their uh, do they know about the the democratic policing that they they uh, that should be the norm of the policing. The second one is their commitment. So uh, this is not only the you know, knowledge, but commitment, the willingness to do that. And the third one is the ability of them to do uh, precisely that democratic policing. Our conclusions is one, in terms of knowledge, I think they generally know what they have to do. So they understand that they, they have to you know be impartial, for example, in terms of religious conflict, so they can't support one group if uh, there are two parties who are in conflict. So they have that general understanding of uh, human, right, human rights, for example, pluralism. They understand well uh, that Shia is part of Islam, and they understand that uh, even the Ahmadis are maybe not Muslim, but they have their constitutional rights to be here in the country. So. In terms of knowledge they understand that. They understand what what do we mean by democratic policy. In terms of commitment, this is where they are, I think, on the weakest point. They are looking at the support of the society and the other part of the government. If they if they don't think that enough support for them to take firm actions against religious intolerance, they wouldn't they, they wouldn't do that. They would they, they would prefer Order meaning, if you have to, you know, take those small number of Ahmadis out of the uh, conflict area, they will do that. So, they prioritize, they will give the priority to order to security. Then, rights that's the that's because of the uh, the weak commitment by the police. And the police are not alone. I mean, if you are thinking about Jokowi or Sway, they are doing the same thing as the police, only copy you know, the, their bosses. I think, and the third one. In terms of the capacity, sometimes, as you know with better than me, uh, Dave, there are three stages of the policing. One is preemptions, uh, second one is preventions, and the third one is the rule of law. And they know it quite, they know it well that they have to be, the, the earlier you come to solve the issue, the better for you, the easier for you. And sometimes they don't have enough that capacity to handle the situation very early. If they come very late, when the mobilization has been taking place for some times, and the you know the controversy is very high and you know the conflict was very the conflict between two parties have been uh, that high so it would be difficult for the police to be a natural a neutral party that could separate that could
0: solve the problem peacefully uh how important is law enforcement as a component of the very important trip? very important very important because
1: uh, as again, as I said before, there was a snowballing effect out of that. People, sometimes I, I have that impression that this radical uh, movement tried to tease out the police. If they don't have that strong policy against them, they will do it and do it again. They ask other people to do the same thing in other places. So, uh, so uh, weak law enforcement is, is deadly in Indonesia because they could, they, could, uh, they could endorse other people to do the same thing because they think that it is uh, okay
0: to do that do you see any prospect for an improvement in the law enforcement response to religious intolerance in Indonesia
1: uh, if you look at the cases the latest one for example the gavatar in central Kalimantan and the other one is in the distribution of the Ahmad in Baka, There, there is no such a thing as you know improvement in the policing of the minority group the pattern was the same I mean they they follow, you know, they see the, if there are enough support to them, they will do that. But if they don't, if they don't have it, they will follow the, the, the mass. Uh, so, yeah, we see they didn't see any, they didn't take, took any, take any actions in, in Kalimantan. Also in, in Bangka, they just follow uh, the region. Yeah, they just follow the, the yeah, the dictation of the mass.
0: Okay, okay. And, I mean, one of the proposals that we saw early in Jokowi's term, raised, I think, by uh, Luqman Hakim Saifuddin, the the minister of religion, was this idea of a law to protect religious minorities. Um, What do you think of that idea? Would that be something constructive? Could that contribute to law enforcement? Uh, I don't think it's a good
1: constructive move. Uh, For one thing, it's it's you uh, give a legitimacy to the... Division within society where are the minority and where are majority because you make the law uh, for, to settle that issue. Um, minority and majority is not the issue. The issue is that every citizen has to uh, be respected, the right of them, uh, including the right of the, the religious right. Uh, and the other one, I think we have enough regulations concerning here yeah, that we have a strong constitutions providing the legitimacy, the, the, the reason why we have to respect our religious minority fellow. But the problem is not regulations. Mostly, there are some regulations which is vague. Uh, I think that's correct. But, but mostly, uh, the problem is in law enforcement and the, and the uh, position of the state to, to have clear idea and willingness and commitment to do that.
0: What can the government do to improve law enforcement? I mean, is it a simple matter of showing political will from the top, or is there more to it than that?
1: As I said before, there are uh, three things. They have enough understanding of uh, the issue, I think. Not very much. Uh, not, not every police, for example, and state authorities did that, but uh, they have enough understanding on that. Uh, the second one is about commitment and the capacity. So this is the two weakest points, I think. Uh, so the state Jokowi and others have to uh, show the uh, the strong commitment to protect religious minorities. One, then the, the second one is to strengthen their capacity to do that. I mean, maybe <coughs> maybe for a very short uh, period of time, don't show that kind of stupid inactions in uh, Central Kalimantan or in Bangka because that's very bad because people learn bad things from that inactions. Uh, the second one is uh, maybe in the middle term you have to uh, check again the all regulations concerning religious minorities and religious uh, tor- intolerance and maybe for the longer period of time you we really have to strengthen our <coughs> our feeling of uh, our, yeah, our our tolerance to each other by for example doing uh, revisions in textbook religious textbook here then they find out that there are textbook who are who are you know uh, endorsing you to do you know killing other people uh, because of religious issues? That's that's very bad
0: thing. And I mean, what about beyond the government? You know, what role is there for say civil society, for religious leaders, uh, for you know universities even to uh, to combat religious intolerance?
1: I should say uh, quite honestly and rather sadly, there there are also issues concerning uh, intolerance and tolerance. Within even within civil societies in Indonesia, they could gather together, have same commitment to protect KPK, for example, anti-corruption commission in Indonesia, but they they would be divided in terms in the issue of uh, religious tolerance or intolerance. So we have to fight more in this term because there are there are sections within Muslim societies who are also very big part of Muslim civil society organization here in Indonesia that still need more, I think, correct understanding on democratic tolerance, uh, which has to be dealt with in the first place. So if I can be very you know, honest to you, there are there are a segment of Nahdatul Ulama.
0: Naratul Ulama is Indonesia's largest Muslim organization. The backbone of Indonesia's pluralism, which still have some difficulties
1: in understanding that, you know, to be tolerant is to, to let other people do and do their belief, uh, practice their belief. Even if you you don't you hate them for example. That's that's very understanding they need to be educated again and again, even even among our civil society organizations here. That's exactly what well among other Sydney do not say that there are there are the dark side of the reformacy and some intolerance group in the country use the channel of democratic politics to strengthen and channel their interests, sometimes in the way that is violent.
0: Okay, so democracy both provides for greater religious freedom in Indonesia but provides a channel for these intolerant groups.
1: Yeah, this is so because uh, this, so as you know it, well, Because before that, we were under authoritarian group, and we can't even discuss our differences uh, religiously or ethnically or others. So when it, when, it came, when democracy came, it it was like the very first thing that uh, uh, we we didn't talk about that, and now we could talk about that. So it's sometimes the form of it, the manifestation of it was uh, you know violent against the minorities.
0: Uh, perhaps i could just finally turn to the question of whether there's any connection between religious intolerance and terrorism i mean you mentioned that public attitudes are very different to the two sort of an emphatic rejection of terrorism but very mixed attitudes on religious intolerance are are they are, they, are the two phenomena completely different or is there a connection between them
1: well there's a connection between them yeah nobody can could be terrorist other unless he's a uh, radical an extremist so not not every extremist are terrorists, but every terrorist should be in the first place a radical or actual extremist. And if you don't act firmly against this extremism in Indonesia, uh, you would directly or not uh, provide some you know uh, fuel for, for Indonesia terrorism here and there. The best case is for that is the uh, Muhammad I think Muhammad Noh of Muhammad Sophia
0: in Cirebon, Muhammad Sharif. Blew himself up inside a police mosque in the West Java town of Cirebon in 2011, killing only himself.
1: Uh, everybody knows about him and his activity and his activity in extremist uh, religious organization Cirebon called Hamas. But nobody, uh, I mean, the police didn't take any actions against him because they think that, you know, this religious organization is allowed in under democracy. But the negative side of it is it could give you opportunities and places to learn about that you could actually do do something you like against your opponent. And think about if that kind of radicalism added into it two things. One is the doctrine of takfiri. Takfiri means that you could call uh, someone who, don't, who, who you don't like, even if he's Muslim, a kafir, unbeliever. And the other one is you could even kill... A kafir, if, if they, uh, even if they are Muslims. So, these two uh, doctrines, uh, the takfir and that you could kill a kafir, a unbeliever, is provided by terrorist organizations like Juma Islamia before and now Islamic State.
0: Okay, so law enforcement against religious intolerance, important in its own right, but also an important step uh, in countering terrorism. It, it
1: is against terrorism, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thanks for sharing your insights today. It's it's been great to speak to you. Um, Thanks so much. That was Issan Ali Fauzi, Director of the Centre for the Study of Religion and Democracy at Paramedina University and one of the authors of the book Policing Religious Conflicts in Indonesia, available as a free download. We'll put a link on the podcast page on the Indonesia at Melbourne blog where you can also access the entire Talk Indonesia podcast archive or subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher. Look out for the next episode with my colleague Dr Ken Satyawan on the 25th of February. Until then, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast.